are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Every pastor needs a Timmy just to warm up the crowd a little bit, right, before they get up. Don't you love this guy? He's awesome. Appreciate him so much. Not as much love as I thought you'd get there, Timmy. Sorry about that. Um, Yesterday morning, I got up and I came here for a men's breakfast, and uh, we had great food together. And then a guy named Butch Arico shared his story. You got a shout out for Butch. And Butch has a story that is, uh, is challenged in some ways. So in his childhood, uh, there was a fire in his home. He was burned severely. Um, a brother died when he was very young also. And as Butch grew up, there was always some level of substance and alcohol abuse in his home and then in his own life. Butch finally turns to cocaine. And by the time that he is a grown man with a wife and a home and kids, he is addicted to crack cocaine. You can imagine where this takes him. He spends all of his money on crack cocaine. He finally begins to embezzle money from the company that he works for to support his drug habit. In turn, he loses everything. They lose their home. They have nothing. Butch's life is in a bad way. One day, Butch is driving his car after he has spent all night smoking crack cocaine. And he feels like that God comes to him. God speaks to him. God calls him. And as hard as it was to do, Butch goes and he admits to his family his drug addiction and he puts himself in rehab. One Sunday, his in-laws came to this church on a Sunday morning. And while they were at this church on a Sunday morning, they hear this lady share her story about how God freed her from crack cocaine, this addiction that was controlling her life. And Butch is almost ready to get out of rehab. And they go see him that afternoon and they say, Butch, we went to this church this morning. And there's this lady there that had the same problem you have. God set her free. When you get out of rehab, you've got to go to this church. You've got to find this lady. You've got to find out how God can get you free too. And so Butch did. And so it's just an incredible story of God's transforming power, how God can change a person's life completely. And so God does amazing things though. And we've been talking about beyond. And so beyond setting Butch free from Smoking crack cocaine, which he has not had one relapse in these 16 years now. Beyond setting him free, he also gave him Jesus, an incredible relationship, all right? But he also forgives him of all of his sins. And then he gives him his marriage back. And then he gives him a home to live in again. Bought a house. And God just keeps doing all this stuff. And finally, Butch is at a point now that he has this awesome church where he greets at our north door and he loves his church family, but he's given him a ministry and celebrate recovery because the only thing better than getting my prayers answered is when God uses me to be the answer to somebody else's prayer, right? I love it. Don't you love what God's done in Butch's life? And so what we're just seeing is what we've been learning through Matthew these last few weeks is that people come to Jesus asking for something and Jesus says, you know what? I'll do that for you, but I'll do something way beyond that for you. I'll give you even more. And there's this verse, and it's now hanging on the wall of my kitchen, because everybody is 
uh, giving me verses like this, and they're taking pictures when they see this verse. Now to him who is able to do far more. What do you mean, Paul, by far more? I mean abundantly beyond all that you would ask or think. This is the power at work within us. God does beyond what we ask him to do or what we even could imagine he would do. And so this morning, I want to just talk to you for a few minutes here about this one concept. And the concept is that in Jesus, we see God's power at work restoring human life. See, that's Butch's story. God restored my life. I had lost everything. I had lost my own ability to make my own decisions. Drugs were making all of my decisions. I lost my home. I lost my wife. I lost dignity. I lost self-respect. I just lost, 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 lost. And what happened was when I came to Jesus, He restored me. And so in Jesus, we just see God, God's power at work, restoring human life. So I want you to grab a Bible and open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. Okay, Matthew, chapter 8. And I want to share another story with you of how God restores a human life. All right? I think this is the time of the sermon where some of you might be tempted to zone out for a second or two. So I'm going to ask you to fight that urge. I'm going to ask you, once you get your Bible open, to look back up here. And I want you to hear the context, because when I read the Scripture, it will not mean as much to you if you don't understand the context. So here we go. Jesus is presenting, rather, Matthew is presenting Jesus, okay, to a Jewish audience. Who is Matthew presenting Jesus to? All right. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to say to them, your heritage is Jews, your story of the nation of Israel and God. Jesus is the fulfillment of this story. All right? Jesus is the fulfillment. And all the prophecies about the birth of Messiah are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the Messiah in the line of David. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And then here's what he does. He says, Jesus is the one who is going to establish my kingdom on earth. There's a new kingdom coming to earth, and Jesus is the one who is going to establish it. So Jesus comes. You'll remember these three words when I say them in a moment, okay? Because I've been saying them a lot lately. Jesus came preaching, teaching, very good, and healing. So he's going to proclaim the kingdom of God. All right? It's coming. He comes teaching. I'm going to explain the kingdom of God. And my favorite passage where he does that is in the Isaiah quotation where he says, This is good news for the poor. The blind are going to see. People who are oppressed are going to be set free. I'm going to set things right in the world, okay? And then he comes demonstrating by healing what the kingdom of God looks like. And so, so what you see in these chapters that we're in now, 8 and 9, is this, this demonstration of what it looks like when Jesus expresses his authority. People saw him as one who had authority And people come to him and say, I'm sick, can you help me? And Jesus says, be healed. At one point he says to the storm, be still. (laughs) I mean, that's authority, right? Another time there's a little girl that's dead, Jesus says, get up. You with me? There's a guy that's blind, Jesus said, I'm going to let you see right now. Boom. And the guy saw. 
So all this authority. And that's what we're seeing here. So let me take you. You ready? Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, meaning the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. So he's gaining speed. He's picking up momentum. He's got a bigger following. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Now, let me talk to you for a minute about leprosy. I'm not going to say everything that I read about leprosy. It's, it's kind of disgusting. Leprosy, there were many strands, there were many kinds of skin diseases, but for the most part, leprosy resulted in open ulcers. Open. So we're talking an open wound, right? Open ulcers on a person's body. So here's what would happen. Eyebrows are gone. Breathing becomes wheezing. Muscles waste away. Tendons begin to contract to make the hands look more like claws than they look like hands. Eventually, these ulcers on your fingers just begin to eat away and most of that finger is missing. Now all the finger is gone. A toe is gone. Another toe is gone. Uh, a person's ear may be have eaten away by the disease. Maybe the nose is gone completely off of their face. And then it's a whole hand that's gone and then a whole foot that's gone. This is what leprosy does to a person. A person dies by inches, literally. Terrible disease. And once you get the disease, wherever you are around people, you're banished from society. But if you ever go around people, you have to shout this out. Unclean! Unclean! Because nobody can get within six foot of you or they will become ceremonially unclean and they can't go to worship. So you're isolated. Leprosy. So a man with leprosy came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. So, if I've got this right, I think, I think the man, when he was on his knees in front of Jesus, wrapped in rags, okay, his head was down. Out of respect, he would have not dared lifted his eyes to look into the eyes of this rabbi who has power to heal. He, He would have been here. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And... And what the Bible says is some of the most powerful words you will ever read in Scripture. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Now, now you got it. This God doesn't have anybody touch him. You, you can't touch him. If you touch him, you're unclean. You can't go to worship. You have to keep like six feet away from this guy at all times. Nobody touches him. What would it be like if from today forward nobody ever touched you? No human touch. And can you imagine when he feels somebody's hand on him and the feet of the rabbi are right here and he realizes it's Jesus? I've got a feeling he he looks up, right? Like He's astonished. And, And I think he saw a face something like this. I wanted to show you this. Don't you love that? 
I'm pretty sure that's Caviezel from uh, Passion of the Christ. But I love the grin on his face. And I think that when the guy looked up, Jesus smiled at him. You know? I don't like pictures of solemn Jesus. I like pictures of happy Jesus. Right? This is a happy Jesus. And I think that's what this guy saw. Something like this. Now let me go back to the Scripture, okay? Be clean, Jesus said. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. Uh, Jesus had some educating to do. People had to understand that the Messiah, greatest power was in his love and not his sword. And so it wasn't time yet. So after that, next slide. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So this is God's word for us. I've been kind of thinking about this story. And uh, one of the questions I asked myself was, uh, do, we, do we have people in, um, in our society that we would see as unclean? Do you know what I mean? So can you think of some? You, you got somebody in mind that's unclean? Somebody that you might bump into this week that, that we would just kind of look at that person and say, unclean. So I remembered my wife Annette and I uh, a few weeks ago on a Saturday afternoon headed to meet some people for dinner. And on our way to dinner, we stopped at a Steinmart on May Avenue near Northwest Expressway. You know what I'm talking about? And we go in the Steinmart on our way to meet these people for dinner, and we've got a little bit of time, and Annette's looking for something. And a homeless man, lo and behold, comes wandering and stumbling into the Steinmart. Where people like me and Annette shop. I don't think I have words to tell you how dirty this man was. Or how filthy his clothes were. I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen clothes so filthy. I, did, I do remember seeing a guy with no arms and no legs up in a small village in Peru once laying on just a, a, in some dusty rags. He was sweating. The sun was out. He was hot. And he was laying there begging. He, he might have been more dirty than this guy, but that's the only person I ever remember seeing more dirty than this guy. And this guy in Steinmark is making no sense. He's, he's speaking rubbish. He's, he's acting weird with his body and he's doing all kinds of stuff and he's moving kind of crazy. I mean, wouldn't it have been better if he would have come in shouting, unclean, unclean, so none of us would have gotten near him, right? Because if you brush up against this guy, don't you think you're going to walk out with some kind of a, a germ or an odor that you don't want to walk away with? You know what I felt inside? What you're feeling inside? What do you do? I love Jesus. This man matters to Jesus. What in the world can Annette and I do for this man? I've, I've got him in my eye. I know where he is. I can see him through the store. He's doing all kinds of crazy things. Is he drunk? 
Is he high? Is he mentally ill? Is it a combination of two of the three of those? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But it felt like within just maybe two minutes, at the very most, at the outside, the police are there, and they've got the man out the door and onto the sidewalk, and they're gone. Well, there's a lot I don't know about this guy. I know one thing for sure. He lives in isolation, like a leper would live. Right? And the other thing that I know about this man is he doesn't need anybody to describe for him what loneliness means. I think he pretty well has that figured out. He doesn't need a definition of loneliness. My wife, Annette, is out of town for just three days. She'll be home this afternoon. It's amazing to me how lonely my house is when I'm there by myself. I mean, it's only been three days, and I'm like going crazy. And some of you are saying, Pastor, I live alone, but it's not by choice. You see, for a person with leprosy, it's isolation. Because the day that they're diagnosed, the day they're diagnosed, they are banished from the community. Do you know what people called living with leprosy? They called it a living death. Because to everybody who knew you and loved you, you've died. You've got to go away. You're done. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, verse 45, here's what it says, okay? Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. In other words... You want to make sure you look the part. You don't want nobody mistaken you thinking they can walk up to you. Let their hair be unkept. For some of you, that is not going to be an issue. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out wherever you go, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. Listen to this last sentence. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. And this is the guy that falls on his knees in front of Jesus. Do you, do you know why I want to talk to you about this today? This is not going to make you comfortable, I promise you. I'm going to take you to a, a difficult place right now. Here's the deal. All of us, we all have been aware of our uncleanness at some point. All right, I'm watching your will spin. You're processing. This isn't easy right here. Somebody's wanting to wave at me and say, No, 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 Rick, you're misunderstanding. It's ceremonial uncleanliness, okay? He didn't do anything to get the disease, right? Not his fault. Oh, no, I understand it. It was a season of my life where Annette and me felt unclean. And we had done nothing. It was several years ago. And it was a family member who did some awful things. And there were places we didn't go because we knew if we went there, we would be treated as if we were unclean. It was a hard season of our lives. And there's probably somebody else in the room wanting to wave and say, no, 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 let it go the other way because 
I know what it feels to be unclean, Pastor Rick, but it was because of choices I made. It was stuff I did. And I've never felt that unclean before in my entire life. What if we ended up in the foyer after the service and somebody walked, one of us walked through with their head down saying, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. About a year ago, I... um, talked with a lady who I work with. Her name is Judy Akins, a huge blessing in my life. And I said, Judy, I think maybe we're at the point. I've been praying. I've been thinking. I think it's time to tackle this sanctuary. And um, I said, do you think you can take it on? Do you think you're up for this? She said, give me a few days to pray. And so Judy went away, and after a few days, she came back and she said, I've prayed about it, I've thought about it, I've talked to Winford about it, my husband, and I think I'm up for it. Let's do this. We immediately went to our church board and we began to talk about renewing this room. Not long after that, I was in my office one day, and Keith Newman, the president of Nazarene, Southern Nazarene University, was up in my office, and we were talking, and I said to him, I said, uh, Dr. Newman, I said, uh, It looks like we're going to tackle the rehab of the sanctuary. And Keith Newman says to me, um, Wow, Rick, I know that I'm new here, but um, it's one of the first things I noticed. It's overdue, in my opinion, just walking in as a newcomer. I really believe in it. I believe that God's leading you. I believe you've got to keep on that path. You've got to do this. And then he says to me, I'm not, I just want to throw it out here. You do with what you want to with it, but. If you hire a fundraising company to help you raise the money to do a project like this, you're probably going to pay them about $300,000 or so. He said, consider not doing that. Consider letting me do that for you. I've led many churches through these fundraising campaigns. and And I would do it as a gift to my church. I love my church. I think this project is great. So I would do it for free. If you want me to do it, let me know. I would love to do it for my church. And so isn't that awesome that God put him in our lives and saving us just a bunch of money. One of the things he said to us early on was this dinner. You can't negotiate this dinner, this November 17th thing that's coming up we've been talking about. That's why we want all of you there. He says it's a non-negotiable. You've got to do this. This is such an important step in, in just the education and the process of the whole thing. And so we embraced it as a church board immediately and said, well, then you're the expert. We'll pay attention to you. And so... I look around this room and I think, you know, it's carpet's not what it used to be. It's, it's dirty. It won't clean up. I understand that. The seats don't look like they once did. They don't set or function like they once did. I understand that. The paint's gotten a little dingy over the years. I, I, I get that. We don't want a different church. We just want to restore this one. I laugh sometimes and talk about you buy a car today, a brand new one, and 15 years you're going to look at that car and say, it's just worn out. Look at it. And I laughed and said, you can get a new husband today, but in a few years you're going to look at him and say, he just looks worn out. Look at him, you know. So can you restore a room? Can you renew a room like this? Well, absolutely. 
I mean, we all get involved. We all take ownership. We all say, going to do my part. We're, we're going to restore the room. And what God has been challenging me with through this whole process is, hey, Rick Harvey, I'm not just going to restore the room. I'm going to restore the people. I'm not going to re- just restore the church building. I'm going to restore the church, the people. You know, we, we, we come into this room. It's an important place to us. We gather here. But we don't stay gathered. In a moment, we're going to leave. We're going to go out. It's like breathing. We gather and we go out. We gather and we go out, you know. I love what Scott Stearman said when he said that we're, we're, we're most like the church when this room is empty because we're out there sharing Jesus' light with our world. Now let me ask you, I know it can happen with a room, but can it happen with a person? In other words, can a person's life be restored? Can a person's life be made like new? You know what I'm saying? I know it can happen with a building and a car, but can it happen with a, with a person? Well, let me tell you this morning, it happened with Butcher Rico, didn't it? And it happens with the guy with leprosy, right? Jesus restores human life. Now, we're just going to kind of come right down to where you live. The guy comes to Jesus. He comes with humility. He comes with faith. I know you can do this. You can make me clean, right? And Jesus, let me show you the words one more time, powerful words, reached out his hand, and he touched the man. Do you remember a time when Jesus touched you? Do you remember a time in your life that was like no other time in your life, and you think, man, I think Jesus touched me in that moment? And the law said, don't. Six feet, buddy. But Jesus understood the law. And He understood the law was really about love. I can sum it up for you. He said, love God, love your neighbor. And I've got a guy on his knees in front of me, and he's got leprosy, and he believes that I can help him, and I can, and he wants me to. And Jesus reaches out, and He touches him, because Jesus said, there is only one law, and that is the law of love. And the only question that I have to answer in this moment is, what is love asking of me? And it's the only question you have to answer tomorrow when you go through your day. What does love ask of me in this moment? Now, there's things I love to say when I preach, but there's not much that I love to say more than I love to say this. Come to Jesus, because no one is ever too unclean to come to Jesus. Oh, I thought I'd get more than that. You love this? Come to Jesus because there is nobody, 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 nobody that is ever too unclean to come to Jesus. Let me tell you a story. Jim Sembla, pastor at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, okay? And he finishes his Sunday uh, Easter services. There were several. He's at the very last one. Some people have been talking to him. He's been praying with him. He's sitting on the front step of the platform, and when they walk away, he notices in the aisle there's a homeless man, and the homeless man is waiting to come to him, and so Simba motions him to come, okay? And so he walks down, and he says, I noticed immediately his two front teeth were missing, but what I noticed more than that was the odor. I've been around a lot of homeless people, Simba says. They wander into our church all the time. I see lots of homeless people. I had never smelled a man that smelled this bad. The combination of alcohol and urine and sweat and garbage, it took my breath away. He said, I'm talking to this man, and I would have to turn my head to the left to inhale because his odor was making me sick to my stomach, and I would turn and face and talk to him. 
What's your name? David, he said softly. David, how long have you been homeless? Six years. Where did you sleep last night? An abandoned truck. And he said, I'd heard enough. And so I reached in my pocket for my money clip. And I pull out my money clip. And that's when David puts his hand in front of my face and says, I, I don't want your money. He said, I'm, I'm going to die out there. I want the Jesus that you talk about in here. And Cymbala said, I felt such guilt. All I wanted to do was get him out of my church. And what he really was looking for was Jesus. And he said, in that moment, Jesus spoke to me and said, Jim, if you and your wife have any value to me, if you have any purpose in my work, it's all about this smell. This is the odor of the world that I died for. And Cymbala tells about how David, <laughs> all right? Because in Jesus, what do we find? God restoring human life. David gets restored. He gets free from his drug addiction like Butch. His life gets changed. He gets all this stuff that he's lost back. And he becomes an employee at the Brooklyn Tabernacle and has served there faithfully for years. One of their most trusted employees. Now, if you had met this homeless man prior to him being healed, and you kept your six feet distance, but you said to him, how long have you had the disease? What would he say? Five years? Ten years? I don't know. What would he say? But he might say this to you. It may be hard for you to believe. But I was one day like you. I had a family. I had an actual house. I had a good job. I was respected in the community. I went to synagogue every week. But I've lost it all. It's all gone. And this is what I'm left with. So there's, there's people here. In fact, I don't know that there's an exception in the room who could identify something that you've lost. Something the enemy has stolen from you, taken from you. Somebody may say, Pastor Rick, I lost my innocence. Or I lost self-respect. Or I've lost dignity. Or maybe I've lost hope. Or maybe I've lost faith. Or maybe I've lost any sense of security, any sense that life is really going to be okay. So, so what have you lost? A relationship, a friend, somebody? And this is what I love about Jesus. 
This is what I love about God's work in our lives. God restores what has been lost. (laughs) This is the gospel right here. This is the gospel. God restores what has been lost. And I love this, okay? Look at me, beyond, beyond answering his prayer and healing him of his leprosy, Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go way beyond that. Go show yourself to the priest. Go through the process, okay? I'm going to restore your life in the community, in the village. I'm going to restore your life in the temple. You'll be a child of Israel again. I'm going to restore your family. I'll go way beyond what you're asking me to do. Your needs are much more than what you can see, and I can do this for you. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask if you're going to serve us today to come forward. So, so you may be saying, what, what does this right here mean? It means that you have walked into the room, and I've walked into the room, and we can say, we've lost something, all right? The enemy has taken something. Just come on, if you will. Taken something from us. And what I really need is God's grace in my life. That's what I really need. I need God's help. I need God to change me. I need God to restore me. And in a moment, there's going to come by you a tray, and in the tray there's two cups stacked together. Take both cups. And the one on the bottom, there's a piece of bread, and the one on the top, there's juice. And when you, in a moment, after we've all been served... And I lead us to do so. You are going to eat the bread and you're going to drink the drink. And here's the image. That in that moment, you receive into yourself, into your person, the grace and the healing of Jesus. You love this? And so in a moment, we're just going to all experience God's grace being poured out on us together. And so when it comes to that moment, that's when you pray. And that's when you say, God, I need healing. Or God, this relationship is broken. Or God, I've got an addiction. Or God, I can't quit this sinning. Or God, I need help here or I need help there. And Jesus is looking at you saying, I'm able. (laughs) And I'm willing. Not only am I going to answer this prayer, but I can do far more beyond what you would ever imagine me doing in your life. I'll do for you what I did for Butch. I'll do for you what I did with the man with leprosy. I can do for you what I did for the man at the Brooklyn Tabernacle named David. So let's sing together. And then after we sing, we're going to eat and drink together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.